Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to Global Supply Chain Week. Uh, I'm Greg Miller, uh, a senior editor with Freight Waves uh, and American Shipper. And today I'm joined by uh, supply chain and logistics consultant, uh, Tom Craig. Tom, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so, so Tom and I are going to talk about the power shift uh, from cargo shippers uh, to ocean carriers uh, in the context of what is right now a, a crisis for uh, the global container system. And, and we're going to talk about how to, how to get ourselves out of this mess. Uh, but before we do that, uh, Tom, if you could just uh, talk a bit about your background. Okay. I, I, like I said, you said, I'm a consultant advisor in logistics supply chain management. And I did that because I'm not, I had my experience in the real world of supply chain management, including what we're talking about, uh, maritime container shipping, where I had involvement and participated in the Trans-Pacific, Asia, Europe, Intra-Asia, Transatlantic, and other trade lanes. And I draw on that a lot for this conversation and for the consulting part, too. Okay, great. So, uh, talking about the power shift, uh, first I'd like to start with a bit of an introduction uh, from the perspective of the coverage of American Shipper and Freight Waves about uh, how we got to where we are today. Um, so, if you look back over previous years, uh, the power was very often with the cargo shippers. Uh, they had set up their supply chains uh, with the assumption of very affordable ocean freight costs, uh, and the carriers themselves often engaged in price wars uh, and and offered their freight at rates that were were often uh, loss-making. And so uh, from time to time, we had sovereign nations having to jump in and rescue uh, their carriers. Uh, and in one case in 2016, they didn't rescue the carrier. That was uh, South Korea's Hanjin, and it went down. Uh, so, But over time, things changed. Over the last 10 years, we've seen a lot of uh, ownership consolidations through mergers and acquisitions. Uh, and we've seen a lot of uh, operational consolidation through the uh, the big three east-west alliances. And uh, the, the, what we saw in the second quarter of 2020 was something we really hadn't seen before. We saw the carriers were able to manage their capacity uh, 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 very well. Uh, so we had uh, the lockdowns from COVID. We had this collapse, uh, sudden collapse in cargo demand. Uh, and the carriers were able to hold the spot rates and at an acceptable level. They were able to use blank sailings uh, to bring capacity down with cargo demand. And we really saw the, the, the power shift uh, going more towards the carriers there. And then the second half, we saw this uh, explosion of cargo demand uh, uh, driven by a change in uh, consumer behavior due to COVID. We saw people taking the money that they had previously spent on services, and we saw them spending it on goods. We saw fiscal stimulus allowing them to continue to spend. And we saw uh, spot rates uh, go through the roof. We saw uh, congestion surge. Uh, and clearly, uh, at this point, uh, uh, the balance of power has gone from the shippers to the carriers. Um, and that brings us to where we are today. And Tom, you know, I'd love to get your perspective on what you think is going on right now in the current situation. In the current situation, the polite word is chaos. Uh, everybody has gotten to the point where the major ports are jammed, especially you hear the stories, LA, Long Beach, 30 ships sitting to be birthed and all that type of stuff. And you factor in 
California for a country is the fifth largest economy in the world. So it's going to get buried. And rolling plans like let's try Oakland, let's move up to the northeast and things like that are taking that volume and moving it to other ports smaller in size. But basically, I'll say this. There are two things at play here. The pandemic and what all that has done. And then it's a house of cards, a kick the can down the road or whatever it is that's been underlying much of what's going on. And now with the pandemic, it's no longer a hidden issue. So the pandemic coupled with the weaknesses in the maritime container line port situations have now brought us to this where we are now. Yeah, it is, it's just really something out there. If you look at the, uh, the service reliability, if you look at the rollings, I mean, it's, it's just hard to, it's hard to plan uh, when you're going to get your cargo now. Uh, incredible. Yeah. It, it's, and, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, uh, I mean, if we look at, uh, you know, the implications of what's going on right now, you know, people would look at the spot rates, uh, people will look at the reliability uh, and people will look at the contract rates. And, you know, I, I would think that from a, a spot rate perspective and from a service reliability perspective, a lot of this has to do with, uh, you know, the, the Chinese uh, container factories spitting out enough containers to help solve this problem. And then uh, some sort of relief on the consumer demand side. You know, when is this uh, surge in demand going to end and give uh, the carriers and the ports uh, an ability to dig themselves out. But I think the really interesting question uh, goes to the, um, the, uh, the contracts. I mean, uh, what everyone was afraid of is happening. The spot rate surge has continued far beyond when people thought it was. I remember people telling me back last year that they were thinking it was going to peak at Gold Week, which was in October. And then it didn't. And then they said, OK, let's get to the end of the year. And then they said, OK, Chinese New Year. And now we're talking about the second quarter. And so that means uh, we are in uh, contracting season right now. And so I'm wondering what you think, you know, from a shipper's perspective, given the balance of power here, you know, what is your advice to uh, cargo shippers as they go into this contract season? I think historically coming into the, what you saw was like you talked about, it was control was with the shippers. And the contracts were really more agreements than contracts as normal business. And so shippers would say, like you alluded to, uh, they're going to drop the rates. So how much should I commit to have a contract and how much should I play the spot market because I know the rates will drop? And all these types of things happen. Now in the span of 12 months less, we've had a shift, flip. The heads are now the tails of the coin. And what you're looking at now are, what do I think is going to happen? How long is this going to go on? And like you say, now people are talking second quarter, second half of the year, things break finally. But then the question is, what are the carriers going to do about capacity? If you look before, and starting even in 2019, they had blank sailings. So this is not just from the pandemic. I think they've been practicing some things. I think they have some things understood that if they're going to, reached the kind of numbers they want now, they're going to have to control capacity. So even if demand slows, returns to a normal, whatever that is, I think the question is, if I'm a shipper, what are the carriers going to do as far as capacity? Are they going to hold that supply tight to keep prices tight? And that's the thing they're going to have to work in. 
because you're just going by volume. Think, well, the first six months, I'm I'm looking at the tough market like I am now. If it softens in the six, second half of the six months, what then? And if carriers maintain capacity, even if demand drops and they drop the capacity, keep it in line, they're holding pricing fairly well tight. So now you have to look at how much do I commit in my volume commit to maintain something? Or what should I do as far as the spot market? And the, generally the spot market, what has been done in 2020 was just anybody scrambling for any, any container they could get, which is different than the past. So I think what you're seeing is I'm going to have to sit down, talk to my people, get an understanding what our demand is, we see it, and plan this month by month, work week by work week, and say, this is what we got to do and how do we do it. Instead of just saying, I've got 10,000 containers, no, plan this one tight. Because the carriers are going to come back, hopefully, and I expect them to want you to say, month by month, week by week, what are you going to need? Where are you going to need it? Because they're going to want to manage this, this flow very well. And if they don't see the numbers falling, then they're going to drop capacity again. So right now, because of their discipline in capacity, they're in control, more than just the pandemic. So if you are a shipper, uh, do you... Uh, we've, you know, there's been some reports of shippers that have gone and preemptively uh, uh, sucked it up and, and, and paid a much higher rate uh, so they could lock in some capacity. Uh, and there are other reports of shippers that are deciding uh, we want to we want to wait. Uh, we want to see what happens with the spot market because we're in a position of weakness now. Uh, how does that work with the timing of these contract renewals and how much time do people really have to wait and how smart is it to wait? Could, could they get caught out? That's a good question. Normally, the contracts, well, depending on what trade lane you're in, are done at the end of the year or coming in now. We're at the time of point to be signing contracts and that type of stuff. And that, all that timing right now <clears throat> is pro-carrier. So they have that sit across from the table and stare you down capability right now. I, I would right now, because I see the carriers controlling capacity, I think waiting is a bad hand. I think they're going to line up their capacity and what their commitment, what their capabilities are. And they say, fill that in. They'll just check, check, check. And at some point, they're going to be fine. And they may not need you like you think you, they need you. And then your choice is going to be, do I go with this tier of carriers, tier one, or do I go two tier, three tier, wherever I'm going to go down? So you, they're sitting in the power hand, and they're doing contracts right now. So you... If I were there, I think I want to feel safe as far as my supply chain. Besides the price right now, what you're doing with this, there's no supply chain. If I can't make a booking, if I can't get a container, if I can't get on a ship, then if I'm a manufacturer or a retailer, then I'm not feeding my supply chain. I'm not feeding my factories. I'm not feeding my stores. Nothing. So what am I going to do? Lock in. The other strategy would be lock in for six, eight months then play the other four, depending on how you want to do the market. What we've also heard is that uh, it's more important ever, than ever for shippers to be accurate in terms of the volume that they need, because if they go underneath that volume, uh, they're going to get thrown out into the spot market. So they're going to hit, get hit with that freight cost. So this is the difficulty for a shipper. Uh, we, we talked about the uncertainty of uh, COVID and consumer demand. How do you plan for the rest of the year uh, maybe it's a situation where shippers are going to have to commit to a certain volume and just take the, uh, you know, the inventory costs here. Otherwise, they're going to, uh, you know, face this huge 
uh, spot freight cost if they if they guess wrong. True. Some some businesses know they have heavy quarters. Consumer goods, primary, fourth quarter, Christmas, all that timing. And then they'll have a drop off. So they know they can they've got a plan where's my most critical need. If I'm a twelve month supplier, if I'm a seasonal supplier, then I've got to plan accordingly. So I'm not thinking the twelve months. I'm gonna be I'm gonna have to get some serious numbers from the people in the company, manufacturing, whoever it is, and start making some firm plans and tighten that up as best I can. Then you work the game plus minus ten percent, plus or minus twenty percent, and see how you feel comfortable. Something else that we've heard is that the car- it's, it's, it, it's not unnoticed by the carriers that they're making a lot of money in the spot market now. Uh, and uh, so, you know, the allotments of contract to spot that shippers have been accustomed to from their carriers in previous years may not be the same. For example, the shipper may want to put more of their volume on contract, but the carriers may want more of that on spot. So, the idea being that shippers may have to spread themselves a little bit differently this year to make sure that they can get their volumes across. Is that something that you think may be happening as well? I do. I do. Again, there's just so much uncertainty down there. So how do I spread my risk? That's really what from a supply chain you're looking to do. What is my risk? Where is it? And how am I going to spread that, mitigate that around? Is that going to be with more carriers? Commit heavy to certain carriers? Use of forwarders? Before that was done based on the price game. Now it's done on going to be done, I think, on I need to be on a ship. We need to get our supply chain back under control, which it isn't. So let's move on to uh, what can be done about this. Uh, you know, as we said before, I mean, there's nothing that can be done on the consumer demand side. Uh, the demand is going to be the demand. And, and frankly, if we get more fiscal stimulus, which looks like it may be happening, uh, you know, this demand could uh, extend longer than we think. Uh, and, you know, the, the Chinese factories will uh, produce uh, the new containers uh, as fast as they can. But I want to get to the, you know, the basic relationship between shippers and carriers and these so-called contracts. Uh, uh, what, what do you think about the nature of these contracts and and how they could be changed and how this could help us not run into the kind of uncertainties that we're seeing uh, in the la- this year and last. I think what the thought process should be is how to stop doing loose agreements that if the market changes, I can get in and out of and realize that we're going to have to do some firm contracting. And I think what needs to be done, too, is they're called service contracts. But in reality, if you read the service section, that's a little loosey-goosey. I think if I'm a shipper and I want to never have this again, well, I can't say never, that I'm going to need to put resiliency into my contract. And that means I'm going to ask you, carrier, defined service. And I wanted something that's defined and measurable. It can't be more than delays in getting on ships. Look at what happened. I couldn't make a booking. I couldn't get an empty. I can't get on a ship. If you're talking how bad performance is, that's just from the time the ship leaves to the time it arrives. But if I'm running a supply chain, this is from the time I try to make that booking till it's delivered. And right now, if we're running 20% or worse on-time performances, imagine if we factored in the delay in making the booking, the delay in getting empties, the delay in getting on ships, being rolled and canceled. That number is getting worse. In fact, it is worse. 
So I think if I'm going to be concerned with my supply chain and put the business back where it's supposed to be, then I'm going to have to come in and want some service defined, measurable into the contract with penalties. If you want me to commit to my volume in a time frame that you can manage, you can see what your needs are, then I want this back from you. If I don't get that service, then this problem we're experiencing doesn't ever get under control. Yeah, absolutely. And what you're talking about is is, is a, a business model that is being pursued by, well, there's a, there's a third-party uh, provider uh, uh, called MyShex that's that's uh, going into this. And then, of course, this is the, the same concept is part of uh, the Maersk uh, spot product and, you know, various other carrier products. So it looks like people are trying to implement this. And at least from what I hear, there's, there's you know, a lot more uptake this year. Do you think that this is the kind of thing that will actually, uh, that this is the moment where we're doing the turning point and it, go, it could be the norm uh, years ahead? I do. I think what we need, if we can establish a, a viable contract as far as service, and the other things that the carriers need. I think we've got a. What I think we need at some point is a contract that's a living document, a working document. And that means as my business changes, you, we sit down, we work it through, maybe we can adjust and things like that. And it gets to be more, there's a lot of talk on collaboration. That's more talk than actuality so more. I think we need to actually make a document that's hard, definable, and then take the collaboration as that next step down the road. I mean, there's a lot of interest in this now because obviously it would be in the cargo shipper's interest to have uh, commitment contracts. But if we think back to the history that we were just talking about, there were periods of time when shippers loved to have uh, the you know these different options so they could book all these various different ships, like someone who wants to get a restaurant reservation and reserves at five different restaurants and only shows up at one. So do you think that the interest in uh, this idea is more cyclical, uh, or is it something that could be there forever? I think these kind of problems that you're talking about are always there because it's the nature of the business. Again, if I'm a consumer good, fourth quarter is it for me. That's as cyclical as I can get. Now, I don't want to be calling five different people looking for that table reservation. I want to know if I go to whoever it is, I've got that reservation, and it's firm. And I get my open table reservation confirmed. So the, the the moving around type of thing, whether it's for cheaper rates or can I get on a ship, has got to stop. And that's going to take discipline on all the parties involved. And that's something we've been missing because the way historically it's been done. And then uh, just very quickly, though, do you think that this balance of power for the carriers uh, is going to stay in place or do you think that this uh, may be fleeting? I won't say fleeting. If the carriers maintain the discipline, and the alliance has helped to a certain extent because I can't change my capacity if three carriers are in my alliance. You know what I mean? So that it's not like the days where every carrier had their own sailings. That right there constrains to a certain extent what the carriers can do, at least within each alliance. But there's a, there's a nature out there. There's a wide disparity. If you look at the largest carrier, you work your way down. Within that framework, there's a lot of speculation that what are there, nine carriers roughly right now in the major trades, that that'll be gone. That slowly attrition will pull from the bottom down. So as you move on over the years, and I don't know what that will be, I think the interesting thing will be a shift in oligarchy. Fewer carriers, more power. 
Now, what does that do? Think about it. We're nine. We could easily go to five. Then what? (laughs) Well, uh, a lot to talk about here. Uh, I, uh, Tom, I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been very uh, interesting discussion, very timely issue. Uh, uh, if anyone needs to reach out to you, how can they get in touch? Uh, well, you can go to the uh, LinkedIn page for me, or simply my email is tomc at ltdmgmt.com. And the easiest right. way. Well, thank you again. I appreciate you uh, speaking with us, and it's been uh, it's been great. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Greg. Right.